doing something, something special this morning, and uh, it's great that you're here for this morning. There's a couple of things that are really important to us at, uh, at Coast Vineyard, and one of those things is that uh, when it comes to Sundays and coming together, that you are regularly hearing from fresh voices. And it wasn't, like, as Jacinda said, it was just wonderful having Danielle Strickland here uh, last week. So I know that a number of you were here, a number of you really enjoyed Danielle. Um, she was from, uh, from North America, had come down for the Justice Conference, and we, um, it was a real treat for us to have her. And, um, and just so you know, too, the, her message, if you didn't hear that or would like to hear it again, is up on the, up on the church website, so feel free to grab that, and if you... If you liked it that much, you thought someone else might like it, then send them the link and, and, uh, and get them listening. So we love um, hearing from fresh voices. And this morning, we're going to be hearing from three voices that are our own coasty voices. So um, yeah, that's worth a woohoo. So, um, and and one, of the, one of the other things that is so, so important to us at Coast is that... Um, is investing in people and developing people and seeing people step more fully into into what God has for them in terms of their their gifts, their um, where they feel that their call is to be to, to serve the church, to serve the, the, the planet, serve the world, and uh, and we love doing our part to see that um, to see that happen. So we have got three of our coasties that are going to come and uh, and speak this morning, and the first up. We are going to get down with Mr. Michael Brown. All right. Yes. This is a good man. I'm going to pray for you, bro. Okay. Not that he needs it. Look at him. Father, I just thank you for this man. Thank you for this family, God. What a blessing they are um, to, to the church. What a blessing they are just as people and friends, God. And I just thank you for the, for the journey that you've taken them on, for their... Their, just their deep passion to, to follow you and to, to be led by you and to know you, God. And I pray that you would uh, open our hearts to hear what the words that you've given him to give to us this morning, God. Bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Um, a few years ago, my wife Fiona and I, uh, and our then two boys, we packed our bags and sold pretty much everything we owned had a massive garage sale, one of those garage sales where you pretty much like put everything out, you advertise it, and you put the list on, you, you list it uh, wherever you list it, and then people start turning up the door at four o'clock in the morning because they see it's a, a mega garage sale. So we sold everything we had, well, bar six suitcases, and moved to small town America. I had a job with a small Christian radio station with TV Ambitions, which is my background in television. I'd visited there once before for a few days. But for Fiona, can you imagine that step of faith to have picked up her life with us and to move to life in a small town in southern Oregon where you'd never been before and you certainly didn't know anyone or anything? And on top of that, it was most certainly redneck country. We lived in Oregon for almost five years, and it was an incredible adventure uh, serving God as media missionaries there. And for us uh, to do life and to step out on an adventure is much about seeing what God would do in us uh, as well as to 
uh, to serve uh, the organization that we're working for and the opportunity to make new friends. Along the way, um, we also had a huge opportunity to see a large amount of the American West Coast. We road tripped as, as north as uh, Seattle and uh, Everett, where the huge Boeing factory is, and down, uh, down the coast to San Diego. That's, that's quite a drive if you've ever driven the American West Coast. But one of the things that we didn't get to see, and it's still on my bucket list, is the Grand Canyon. Is anyone that's been to the Grand Canyon? Cool. So if you've been there, I can just tell from the photos and the videos, incredibly beautiful, spectacular landscape that God has created. It's immense. 446 kilometers long, up to 29 kilometers wide, and 1.6 kilometers deep. It's massive. I was looking this up yesterday, because I haven't been there myself, and they said if you wanted to hike from the top of the canyon down to the bottom, at the shortest part, that would be a 10.4 kilometer walk. An average person, they say, that would take three to four hours to walk down. The walk back up, however, would take the average person six to eight hours. There's spectacular things. You go kayaking. One of the other things you can do at the Grand Canyon is more recently they've built an incredible glass skywalk on the very top. Can you imagine that? A glass skywalk from the top of the canyon way out over the canyon, cantilevered, and you go way out in a horseshoe shape. And did I mention it's made of glass? Can you imagine that step of faith and that battle over the, in the mind over matter to step out onto that, regardless of what the engineer and the architect have said? That they tell you this thing is structurally sound. They've weight-loaded this thing. It goes way out with glass looking 4,000 feet down, nothing between you and this piece of glass, a 4,000 feet drop, but they say it can hold, they say the loading, the maximum they'll allow on it is 120 people, but they've engineered it to hold up to 800 people on there, whether or not they could fit. So this thing is sound, but that challenge in your mind to step out onto that glass. I mean, has anyone been up the Sky Tower and just had the trouble just walking onto that, that, that one foot piece of glass and looking down, let alone being out way out over the canyon, 4,000 feet, so one and a half kilometers down, that's immense, to step out into the unknown. The Bible tells a story of a man named Abram, and uh, you'll know him as um, Abraham and his wife Sarah, but before he was known as Abraham, he was called Abram. And the Bible tells the story in Genesis of how he left everything that he knew and went out into the unknown. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, which is the first book in the Bible, God told Abram, leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who curse you. And those who curse you, I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left just as God said, and Lot, who was his nephew, left with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left the place that he'd been living, which is a, um, a long, long way away. Can you imagine that? Abram packed 
up his whole family, and he left his homeland, and then journeyed to an unknown place on a promise that God had given him that he would become a great nation. Despite the fact that Abram was already 75 years old, and they, know, and they knew that his wife Sarai was barren. They couldn't have kids. But they trusted God anyway. They stepped off the edge, out of the comfort of what they knew, onto the glass walkway, trusting in that which he couldn't see into the unknown. And I kind of think that's, that's like faith. That's following Jesus not just hearing and knowing God's promises, but believing them and having the courage to step into the unknown, knowing that God, the architect and engineer of your life, has planned your path. Especially when you can't see that which you're walking on. He says, trust me, take a step. I was thinking about that and I was thinking, well, for many of us, what, stop, what is it that stops us from stepping out? If you're at the top of the, the canyon and there's a glass path there in front of you and the engineer and the architect have said, this thing is sounded as solid. They can show you the diagrams and your eyes might glaze over, but they say this is loaded to carry up to 800 people. Or you just have to walk there. What is, this, what is it that stops you from stepping out onto the glass? Fear? Uncertainty? How will I survive? How will I be provided for? What if this happens or what if that? Well, Abraham, you know, he'd stepped out, but it wasn't easy going for him. He was in, in, in an unknown land. He'd left everything he knew because God had told him and promised him that he'd be a great nation. He's had, but he was having a pretty rough time. He'd ended up in Egypt where he tried to be, pretend to be his wife's brother so that he wouldn't be killed on account of her looking so foxy. He'd had a falling out with his nephew Lot and later had to rescue him when Lot had got caught up between fighting factions in the land where he was living. And all the while, he and his wife Sarai still couldn't have kids and they weren't no spring chickens. The Bible goes on to say in Genesis chapter 15 verses 1 to 6, After this, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus, who was his servant. And Abram said, You've given me no children, and so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. When you're on your journey of faith, walking on the glass walkway, don't forget God's promises to you. Stepping out into the unknown, that which you're not comfortable with, it's scary. God told Abram not to be afraid. Then he reminded Abram of his promise. He made a further promise to him, saying that 
the number of the descendants would be so great that they couldn't even be counted. And here's the thing, Abram believed. He believed that what God had said, beyond what he could see, he stepped out and he believed. And that was what was credited to him as righteousness. He carried on walking many years. It wasn't easy along the way, and he saw the fulfillment of what God had promised. He was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. He kept walking and believing. I think that following Jesus is kind of like walking on a glass walkway. The glass that he's asking you to walk on are his promises. God says, I love you. You can trust me. You can trust him as the architect and engineer of your life, that he has the path all mapped out for you. And regardless of whether you can see it, you can trust him because he's the one that made that path. I think my challenge to you is that if you're standing on the edge and you've been asking God for the courage to know what to do, but that which is in front of you frightens you because you cannot see the path, that's what faith is. It's trusting that the one who created the path for you that he will hold you, and that he'll never let you go. He won't let you fall, regardless of whether you can see that. God's promises for you are good. The Bible says he's right there with you. He won't let you down. He won't leave you. He says, I've planned it all out, plans to take care of you and not abandon you. You can be sure that God will take care of everything you need. And I think particularly like Abram had had a hard time, he'd stepped out, but he still hadn't seen that fulfillment of what God had promised him. If you've been walking on your journey for a while, trust in God, but still haven't seen that fulfillment of that promise which God has spoken to you about, the Bible says in Joshua, know this with all your heart that not one detail has failed of all the good things God has promised you. It has all happened. Nothing's left undone. He loves you. You can trust him. So step out onto the glass. He won't let you fall. Cool. Great job. A wonderful thing is, is that as you're going to hear these three different people, they're all talking along the theme of following Jesus. So they could pick whichever bit of that they wanted to, to run with. And, uh, and listening to that by Michael, I know for a fact that these guys live, live that. So uh, it has that weight of uh, not just being words on paper. Uh, let me introduce you to our second speaker. And this is Annalise. Annalise is one of our life group leaders here at Coast. And she's like a walking ray of sunshine, I reckon. <laughs> and so, is it okay if I pray for you before you get going? <laughs> That's a bit nerve-wracking looking at you lot. <laughs> You've got to be nice. All right, here we go. Lord, thank you so much for Annalise and for Jono and their family. And Lord, I pray now that you'd come and that you would fill her again with your Holy Spirit, that you would enable her to bring with clarity the, the message that you've put on her heart for us this morning. So bless her with your presence, we pray. Settle those nerves and help her just have fun with this thing. In Jesus' name, amen.
Yeah, I am really nervous. It's funny. <laughs> I am. Um, I loved drama when I was a student, and I loved being in front of people. But for some reason today, I'm really nervous, and that's because I'm going to share part of my heart. And um, you can feel quite raw and vulnerable. So do um, bear with me. But I am excited because I get to talk about Jesus, who's my favorite thing to talk about. Um, so I'm going to talk about, and it actually kind of follows on really nicely from Michael's message, is um, finding Jesus in the waiting. So the waiting for your promise. Last month I turned 30, and um, naturally I reflected on all the things that I had done in my 20s. And um, I actually remember on my 20th birthday, I can't find it now, but I did write a very exhaustive list of all the things I was going to achieve in my 20s. Um, I can't remember all of it, but some of it, obviously, because I've lost it. <laughs> so some of it included like volunteering in Southeast Asia and orphanages and traveling the globe and um, working overseas, establishing my teaching career, going to Bible college, maybe start writing a book, keep performing in musical theater, not to mention get married, have children, buy a house. That was a lot to achieve in 10 years. Instead, my 20s involved working too hard, failed investments, isolating myself from community, debilitating fear, crippling perfectionism, I'm sorry, suffering depression and anxiety and all of that's left to chronic fatigue, which is where I'm at now. It's quite far from what I intended. My 20s hasn't been all doom and gloom, don't worry. I'm just emotional. It happens when you're a mum. Um, I've got a beautiful husband and I have got my beautiful boy. But in a sense, I still feel like I'm waiting. I'm waiting for my promises. I'm waiting for my dreams to be fulfilled. I'm waiting for my healing. And through the unraveling of the past decade, as I like to call it, the Lord has revealed to me that while I have loved him and worshipped him my whole life, I actually didn't really know him. I didn't know him as well as I thought I did. And this unraveling has given me a wonderful invitation to really know just how good he is. It's so funny how in the bad times, you actually really do learn the goodness of God. I'm actually thankful for the unraveling. I'm starting to learn what is actually most important. The Lord told me the other day, because I'm still learning it, um, that he's more interested in the quality of my heart and not in the quantity of good stuff that I'm doing. But it's so hard. I'm still recovering from chronic fatigue and at times the depression that comes with it. But the key for me to find Jesus amid the waiting is simply to praise him. One day as I drove home from uni, I was in my early 20s, and um, I remember I was driving where I was on the motorway and I was crying out to God, Lord, how am I ever going to get through this? This is all-encompassing pain. And he spoke so clearly to me and he said, there is power when you praise me through your pain. There is power when you praise me through your pain. And I love God because I really love alliteration, which is the repetitive, you know, letters. <laughs> I'm like, yes, power, praise, pain, okay. Um, so that stuck with me. 
But this has been my key to finding Jesus, despite how I feel, in the good and in the bad. When we choose to praise Jesus, despite how we feel through our pain, something powerful always happens. Quite simply, we lift our eyes of ourselves and onto him. We lift our eyes off our earthly circumstance and onto heaven's reality, off our insecurity and onto his love for us, off our questions and onto he who has the answer, off our pain and onto heaven's freedom, off our confusion and onto the creator, off our inadequacy and onto his wholeness, off our despair and onto the hope of heaven, off our fading bodies and onto he who restores and revives us from the inside. When we praise him, we become aware of his presence and his nearness. And I can honestly say that his presence is life to me. I cannot exist without him. And I know it seems back to front, but we need to praise Jesus before our breakthrough. We need to praise him before our healing. We need to praise him before our promise is is seen. And Psalm 22 says, Bring Yahweh praise and you will find him. Your hearts will overflow with outrageous joy. And I can honestly say that in those darkest times, particularly in my early 20s, they were also the times where I was most intimate with Jesus. And in a bizarre kind of way, they were also the most joyous times. And it's not like a laughing all the time, haha, life is wonderful, sunshine, rainbows, lollipops, unicorns. But it is, <laughs> but it's a joy that is really, really deep. And it's a joy that despair can't touch. It's a joy that sickness can't touch. It's a joy that grief can't touch. And not even death can't touch. And it's a joy that's connected to hope. And it's a hope in him. In Matthew 16 of the Message Bible, Jesus says, Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. And in the Beatitudes, he says, You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. He's so different to the world. There are still days when I think, Am I ever going to get better? Maybe this is just my lot in life. Maybe I'm just a really tired person. And there are moments where I'm really confused about the state of the world. Just look on the news and it's easy to feel despair. There are days when I decide to dwell in defeatist thinking and I let myself lose hope and I forget Jesus. In fact, there are weeks like that. So what does praising Jesus look like? Praising him is my favourite thing to do. It's posturing our hearts toward the Lord and simply remembering who he is. The more we contemplate him and his amazingness, we begin to elevate him above all the other stuff that's going on, the bad stuff and the good stuff. It's not necessarily singing songs to him, though I truly do believe that music has immense power. Music has the ability to transcend our thoughts and our feelings and to touch parts of us which we can't actually express. And sometimes some of the most wonderful encounters of the Lord I've had have been when I've just been on the floor crying out to him um, and sing shouting, you know, when you're not really singing, (laughs) but you're you're shouting. Um, 
when you urge yourself, when you urge your soul to declare the goodness of God. I totally get, though, that there are times when you actually can't literally lift your hands and pray. You don't have the strength. You can't find the words you wish to pray, let alone articulate what the heck is going on with you. And it's in those times that Romans 8 rings true, that the Spirit comes and he helps us in our weakness. We don't know what prayer to offer or how to offer it, but the Spirit himself, he knows our need and intercedes on behalf, of, on behalf with sighs and groanings too deep for words. And I know that there are moments when our faith in Jesus does waver and you don't quite believe the words that you're singing. And it's then that we can trust what thousands of generations of Christ followers know to be true, that he is our fierce defender. He is our quick rescuer. He is our safe place. He is our patient teacher, our best friend. He always has time for us. He holds, he holds the galaxies in his palm. He is the God of the angel armies. He is our inner strength and our hope and our revelation light. He's our healer and we will be healed. He is the very air that we breathe. He designed us so thoughtfully and he catches every tear we cry. And at the moment, he's a lot, obviously. He is our good dad, the biggest, most compassionate heart there ever could be. And when all else fades and falls into the heart of the sea, he remains. He is everything. And I want to encourage you that if you're going through disappointment, you're still waiting for your heart cry or you're still waiting for your promise to come to fruition, be encouraged. Jesus is all over it. He is all over and all through the waiting. He's not about the end product. He's about the process. And you know what? The process is actually the whole point. Let's not miss the opportunity to find Jesus in the waiting. We have this precious invitation to really let him counsel our hearts, to really meet Jesus, to truly experience just how vast and wide and high and deep and unconditional is his love for us. Throughout the Psalms, David refers to waiting on God. And I found this cool footnote the other day that the Hebrew word commonly translated as wait is kavar, which also means, sorry, I probably mispronounced that, but it also means to tie together by twisting or to entwine or to wrap tightly. And I think that's such an amazing image of what waiting on God looks like, that it's not a passive thing. It's not a just tick-tock, tick-tock, waiting for my promise. It's an active thing. It's a entwining your heart with the Lord and getting closer to him. It's a digging in. Guys, Jesus really is everything. We need to know his presence in the good times and in the bad. When we're at the end of our rope and when we're thriving, his presence is life to us, body and soul. And when we find him, we'll find him as we praise him and as we posture our heart toward him. So I'd love to, um, to pray with anyone at the end of the service if you need encouragement, if you need to know a touch of his presence. I would love to pray with you. And of course, if you haven't met this Jesus, who is hope and joy and life to our very body and soul, I would love to introduce him to you. Thanks.
can breathe now. Oh, do you know, one of the things I love around here is that people are willing to be vulnerable and to trust us with their stories. So thank you so much for that. All right. Wow, she's keen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll be fine. This is Lee. She is our next speaker, in case you're wondering while she's here with me. Uh, and Lee uh, is, works with us in terms of uh, coordinating our life group leaders and, and helping make sure we do that well. So um, can I pray for you before you get going? Awesome. So, Lord, I just ask that you'd come and that you would fill Lee with the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you'd give her the words to speak, the things that you've spoken to her about for us. God, I thank you for the gift that you've given her, and I ask, God, that you'll bless her as she shares it with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. The people before me did such an awesome job. I really don't know if I've got much more to add. Um, but when thinking about finding Jesus, or actually I th kind of think Jesus finds us, um, I began to think about home. And I don't know about you, but have you ever been in that place where you just want to get home? You may have been away a long time, or you may have just had a really bad day at work, and your heart just aches, you just want to get home. And... Um, my uh, recently, um, my husband and I were able to have this wonderful holiday and we took our seven-year-old son Samuel away and it was really exciting and he was counting down the sleeps and we had this blast, but we were really gobsmacked about the fact that when it got time to come home, he was more excited about getting home than he was about going on holiday. All he wanted to do was go home, pick up his Lego play with his toys and be in his comfortable space where he was safe and secure. And for me, I remember a time when I was 15 and for the people who are a little bit more senior in age remember the school C years. I had three, three days after my school C exams, that's like year 10 or 11, final exams, big deal. And my, so I was 15 and my sister and I, Helen, she was 17, we were whisked off on a plane by ourselves over to the UK. And that was because my parents were English and um, my sister Helen and I had been born in New Zealand. And my parents thought it would be a fantastic idea for us to go over and meet the grandmother we'd never met, the aunties, the uncles, the cousins and whoever. They were absolute strangers to us. And uh, we arrived in an uh, English winter where it snowed and was damn cold. And... Um, <laughs> And I just remember, you know, after about the second month of going to stay in another house with people who were family but really just was not home, and my heart ached. I, I just really wanted to go home. And um, when I got home, I was really happily relieved, of course, but I caught up with a friend of mine. And um, she was not a Christian or anything, either was I. And, um, and she came up to me and she said, Lee, Lee. I've become radically saved. And I looked at her and thought, what, what does that mean? She said, I found Jesus. And I looked at her and I could just tell that she was really different. She had found a contentment. She had found a joy. And, um, and I became homesick for that. I wanted it and I wanted it bad. And as luck would have it, she said, why don't you come along to a meeting? And um, it was with the local Catholic church. Now, my mother was horrified. They seemed to be full of prejudices, and that was but one of them. And um, they said, come along to the local Catholic church because they are going to have this meeting, and we've invited the Holy Spirit. 
I had no idea who the Holy Spirit was, and I had no idea how he got the invitation. <laughs> However, he turned up. And what I had a sense of is a very genuine, authentic love of God that wanted to come and draw me close. And um, I was invited to pray this prayer, and I don't remember the words of it, and I wasn't that familiar with prayer, but it was a, a, a conversation with God that went something like, Lord, I give you my life. Will you come and live in me? And I don't know what happened that night, but I was not the same. And I felt like I'd come home. And I felt like God was no longer a stranger to me. You know, like in homes, and in good homes, and I know we've had many, you know, homes are a very tricky thing to talk about because some of us have come from very tricky homes. But if we use an ideal example here, home is a place where you feel like you belong and there are no strangers. And I had this very authentic meeting with a very authentic God and my life was never the same. And that's the one meeting where I look back on in my life. And whilst there were a number of things that happened that brought me into this relationship with Jesus, that was the one meeting where I could look back and think, yeah, that's where it happened. And I felt really different. However, I met Christians who basically told me that now I was a Christian. So I didn't actually know that prayer actually entered me into the fold, but apparently it did. And so now I'm a Christian and, um, and they had some really good advice for me. And the advice came in the shape of form of about five pamphlets. And the pamphlets read, Now you are a Christian, you must pray. And I thought, well, what's prayer? And they said, it's all right, you know, you just talk to God. But I, is there a posture? You know, is there, is there formulated words? What, how do you do this thing? And then I thought, what happens if I get it wrong? Because I must do this. And then it was, now you are a Christian, you must read your Bible. And I thought, well, that's all right. I kind of figured that one might turn up somewhere. And then, then it was, now you are a Christian, you must tithe. And I'd never heard that word before in my life. But apparently it meant for me to be a Christian, I had to go into my bank account, find 10% of my income and give it to God. Now, I didn't even know how to get it to him. And two, I had just failed school C maths by 3%. <laughs> and I was thinking, how the hang do I work out 10%? But then, and then very clever Christians then said to me, is it on the gross or the net? But I had no money, so I thought... Oh, go figure, I have no idea. But what really, and there was a whole lot of other things, really big words I'd never heard of, fellowship and all these things I must have. But what really saddened me is I began to figure out what happens if I don't do these musts. So what happens to this, this I, I had this real difficulty in reconciling this very authentic meeting with Jesus and then this really big list of things I had to do. It was like a compliance audit. I know a bit about compliance because I work for a government agency and it's full of bureaucracy. And there's a whole lot of musts and you tick them off and they are very quick to tell you when you've got it wrong. And so my image of God was going down this line where do I have to do things? So I just want to talk to you how I've worked that out. There's a couple of scriptures, hopefully. Is there one? Well, there... Woohoo! <laughs> Ephesians 3. Now, Ephesians is the name of people who lived in a city called Ephesus, just like Aucklanders 
are people who live in Auckland. Ephesians were people who lived in a city called Ephesus in Turkey. And Paul was a guy that went and planted churches, and he wrote a letter to these people whom he loved. When he planted churches, this guy Paul wrote with great affection. And this is a copy of his prayer to them. And so this is a copy of what his heart is. Look, the whole chapter 3 is really cool, but I'm just giving you this. So he's saying, I pray that Christ will live, make his home in your hearts by faith, and that your life would be rooted and sound, found in love, strong in love and built on love. Sorry, different, different words. But I'm thinking, if Paul was really loving these people, he's not giving them five pamphlets here. He's actually talking about what really matters. He's talking about Christ living in your heart, making a home. And the next scripture is one that Jesus said. And Jesus, in the first four books of the New Testament, is um, stories about what Jesus did on earth. And um, this one is um, some people came up to Jesus and was asking, well, how do we do this thing? How do we do this relationship? And this is what Jesus said, who could have said a whole list of commands because he knew them by heart. But he said, no, my Father will love them and we will, good theology on Trinity, by the way, and, and we will come to them and make our home in them. And I had to realize that our relationship with God has a lot to do with him creating his home in our hearts, built on love not on a compliance audit. So a quick few things on home. I use home as an analogy for me understanding God. When you are at home, you are yourself. You are your natural, uncut, unabridged version of yourself. I do things at home I don't do in church. I do things at home I don't do at work because I've got nothing to prove. I am who I am, and I can take off all the masks and just be me. And I think that's what Jesus wants us to be. I have conversations at home I don't have at work because I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to be PC. And I think a lot of our conversations with Jesus is what we call prayer. And like conversations at home, they're real. There are times when you talk and there are times when you listen. There are times of silences and there's times of contemplation. And that is prayer. Home is a place where you can just be. There's no strangers at home, and God doesn't want you to be a stranger to him. Home is a place of contentment, ideally, and Jesus wants us to find that contentment just in his presence, and a lot like what Annalise said. Home is also a place where you grow up and mature. I do not want my seven-year-old son to still act like he was when he was two, because at home, it's a great environment for your children to grow up. And there are disciplines and there are rules and there are things that you encourage them to do. But the environment is one where the parents are just cheering on your kids, saying, look, you've got this, you can do this. And, and when Jesus makes his home in your heart, he also is going to challenge some of your, what you do and what you don't do and how you know things like grace and things like forgiveness. And he's going to encourage you to do things and tell you to maybe stop doing this, but try this instead. And, but it's all with this environment of grace saying, hey, you've got this. You're just going to go from strength to strength and you're going to have my life fuller because of it. And the other thing about growing up and maturing is I love those gospels, those first four books in the New Testament, because you read about how Jesus rubbed up against real life. 
and you see how he dealt with people. He loved them. And you get to also realize what rubbed him up the wrong way. And do you know what rubbed Jesus up the wrong way? Compliance. People that had five pamphlets telling you what to do and how to live life, but missed that honest, genuine heart relationship that he wants to engage with us with. And the final point about home is that home is a place you go and come from. Look, I go from my home and I go to work. I go from home and I go to the shops. But I'm always going back home. It's the place I gravitate from. And Jesus wants to be the place you gravitate from, that anchor point, that hope base, where you build with the place. You always come and go. And life's going to throw at you all sorts of things, from great joys to great sorrows, you know, from times of nothingness to times of excitement. But we're always going back to our home base because that's what hold us firm, holds us firm. It's our relationship with Jesus. So today you might feel like you've never found your spiritual home like I did when I was 15 at that meeting. And you might feel like you're still a stranger to God. I don't think it would be um, something that would make him very happy for you to remain a stranger because he just has that warm invitation for him to make that home in your hearts. And if you are wanting to find that home this morning, look, you're welcome to come and talk to anyone um, afterwards who you think's got what you're looking for, like I did in my friend. Um, and we often have a prayer time at the end, and I'm sure anyone here would, be a, would, be loved, would just love to be able to come and talk you through about how to make Jesus your home. And secondly, if you do have a relationship with Jesus, but you feel like you're more stuck out in the outhouse, do you remember those old houses? You know, those ones where the toilet and the laundry was you know, way out the back, you had to walk out into the cold to get to. And, you know, you might feel that whilst you've started this relationship with God, you feel like you're still out in the outhouse, where Jesus is inviting you to the living room by the fireside. And it might be that you, he, he's inviting you to come out and come and have that closer walk with him and so that he can build that home in your hearts by faith, being strong in love and built in love. So uh, you're welcome to come for prayer. I'm going to hand it over to Matt now, who knows how to do this thing. That was great, all three of you. It was great. Why don't we stand together? All right, here's, here's what I like to do. Um, there's a lot of things were shared and a lot of things I know that would have um, been important to different people. And, um, but there's sometimes when you hear something and you just go like, ooh, that really felt like that was a... That was, it's, it's like something came from, from above and, and was for me. And often in those times, um, it can be very cool to have some people um, just to gather around and pray. And, you know, just the, when, when people pray with you and for you, whatever that God is doing can often get, uh, get magnified, can get sort of sealed in. It's a, it's a good thing. So I'm just going to invite anyone that would like to, to um, just to, to come up the front. I know we don't do that that often. We often 
get people just to pray where you are. But today, I'm just going to invite you, if you'd like, to, just to come up the front. Now, Michael spoke, first of all, about, um, about stepping out in faith. I just got a strong sense when he was talking that there are people here that are just in that place of pondering. They're just like, um, and thinking about doing something that is going to require a little bit of sacrifice, and there's, a, there's, there's some real uncertainty about whether that is... Um, you know, should I do it, should I not? If you're in that place, but you, at the same time, you're getting the sense of really feeling, like I just keep feeling like this is what something I should do, then I'd love you to come up, come up the front. If there, and then, um, Annalise, thank you so much for, you know, for your vulnerability. If there's anyone here that, again, is in the midst of a time of, of challenge, a season of challenge, and it's just like, is there... I just, I can't seem to just grab a hold of the hope of the Lord or I can't I look ahead and it's just it's fuzzy and it's just I just can't see a way out then again come come forward and just with Lee speaking you may be here this morning and you may have never actually made a decision to to come to know God and um and you can have what Lee talked about, she, her experiencing when she was 15 years old. And like most people here this morning have had this experience where they have said yes to God and, and life's never been the same again. And we'd love to pray with you and you may want to come forward as well and just to talk to someone. So if, and also if you are, you know how Lee said that home is that place no matter what we do, we can always, it's always a place where we can come back and, and be loved and be able to sit down on the couch next to the fire and, um, and know that this is the place we're meant to be. If you're just feeling a little like you've been out in the outhouse or you've been away from home, then come forward and just have some people gather around you and just pray a blessing of the Lord on you and just to, to pray a welcome back. Why don't you come on, come on up? If there's any of you, I know it's like, it's going to have to be, Someone is going to have to come up first. But just come. I mean, I'm expecting that there's probably lots of you. So just, just come. And the way this will work is that there will just be people that will come and they'll just, uh, people that will love you, they'll come and gather around you and, uh, and pray for you and with you. I know that there's some more. Why don't you, why don't you come on up?